Welcome to Global Ed Tour. Pack your earbuds and come on a tour of educational perspectives around the globe. We are your hosts, Sandra Chow and Chris Lee. Okay, Chris. Australia. Good day, mate. Oh, Vegemite and oh, dingoes. No. Let's not do Vegemite. <laughs> I, I don't think I appreciate that very much. And why do you not appreciate it very much? Well, okay. The first time I tried Vegemite, I thought it was Nutella and it's not Nutella. That would come with a serious disappointment, not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad though. I hope everyone gets to try Vegemite. Well, at least you once. You should definitely try Vegemite once in your life. I agree <laughs> with that. Have you ever visited? Have you been to Australia before? I have. Actually, um, my husband Ray, he spent a few times, a few months there working on the Gold Coast. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I know I was there when I was like one and a half, so I don't remember a single thing about it. It's definitely a very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the environment is fantastic and very diverse. Just a gigantic rock somewhere. Yes. You mean the, <laughs> the big Ayers rock? Yes, yes. That's all I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's pretty exciting stuff that's happening as well. Uh, from the curriculum, that was pretty neat. Uh, I was noticing that it's kind of divided very interestingly. Uh, like How so? Learning areas. There's these things called general capabilities. Oh, do you think that's like our competencies? It, it actually did seem similar to that because it's like it's got the creative, critical thinking, ethical understanding, isn't it? And that has this third part, which is the cross-curriculum priorities. Um, three, three of them. So I'm very curious what it is, why, and oh, Asia and Australia's engagement with Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very interesting. I'm moving, by the way. Oh yes, where are you going to? To Asia. Oh yes, I know that. Well, I know that. <laughs> so that's really interesting to me. So we'll see how they how they deal with that. As why that's not a part of the learning areas. Why is it separate? And, and is this something that's assessed or and or evaluated as well? As my um, big wondering. Yeah, I'm that also, is interesting. So out of all these, the one that I'm really curious about is this one: the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures. Yeah, that's something that we've been. Uh, pushing a lot in Ontario here to, as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So those are the big ones there. Um, it looks very British to me. Um, it, it says foundations to year 10. Those are very mm-hmm. British British kind of terminologies from their, their education system. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they also call mathematics maths. Maths, maths, like a general maths thing. Like, uh, does it over? Is it overarching other things than just numeracy? Well, it's mathematics. So then it's maths. <laughs> ah, the good old maths. Okay, so we'll ask them about maths as well. Sounds good. All right, so we got a fourteen-hour window. We can, uh, uh, time uh, time difference. We can figure this out. Or I think we're staying up at midnight tonight. Yeah. All right, let's get it done. Sounds good. If you can believe it, the majority of the Lee family is comprised of financial accountants, real estate agent developments, and financial accountants for real estate agent developments. So I got excited to, for us to do this education podcast in Australia so that I could tap into my only other family member who is also a teacher. So a woot woot to my cousin. Hey, Ann. Hi. <laughs> 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 I would, would. <laughs> uh, and our second guest tonight is someone who is cu- has a curious mind, asks a million questions, likes to interact people. Making it- oh yeah, that too. <laughs> and 
and like makes in- interesting things out of zeros and ones. Thank you for being with us, Chris Betcher. G'day. It's good to be here, guys. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Cheers. Even I though I'm not family. Australian um, intro. G'day. G'day. <laughs> but, but you're kind of like family, Chris, because you've actually lived in Toronto. I have, yeah. I did live there for a while, and I'm married to a Canadian from Toronto. So there you go. It's, a, it's all coming full circle. Another Woodwood? <laughs> <laughs> so we thought uh, we would start off with maybe um, you sharing your current roles, your journey as an educator, and how did you end up where you are now? Chris, did you yeah, want to go first? No, oh, no, okay. no, ladies first. Okay, cool. Um, well, I've been teaching a relatively short time, actually. So it's been four years now. Um, and my role is I'm a primary school teacher. So I teach preps ones and twos in a composite class, which is very interesting. Um, but the more interesting aspect is that the fact um, the kids that I teach are actually uh, refugees, asylum seekers and new arrivals. So I teach at a government school that is an English language school. So, um, do we need to explain composite? Is that a concept in Canada? Yeah, yeah, or or preps. What's preps? So, preps is like a foundation. That's another word. Kindergarten, preschool, pre one, thank you, pre year one. Yeah, we have well. Uh, it's an old terminology prep, but now it's called foundation under our curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, what grade? But, what year? Um, what age group would that be? So that's fives, five, four, six, four and five okay. year olds. Yeah, or, yeah, or, mainly five fives. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then before that, they'll go into what we call kindergarten. So for us, kindergarten is preschool. So mm-hmm. okay. like three-year-old kinder, four-year-old kinder, and then when they're five, they come into what we call formal schooling. That's the prep years or foundation years, and then they go into grade one. That's really so, similar to Britain. Is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, but they, they also call it uh, kindergarten, though, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, whereas we call it foundation. So it can get a bit confusing with terminology, I guess. Yeah, yeah it mm-hmm. does. And, and I, I, the school I taught at that, that – uh, year was called reception. So yes. There's, there's different terms yeah. for it and they all mean basically Whereas, the same thing. Yeah, and in Victoria, reception is considered kindergarten, which yeah. is preschool. <laughs> that makes it even more <laughs> Not confusing at all. <laughs> no. I think now, we'll, now about that composite thing. <laughs> yes. right. well, well, I mean, some schools have composite classes, like usually not in prep as in uh, – should, I, should we just call it prep just so that we have a solid understanding of what we're talking about? Uh, foundation's the correct word. Foundation? Okay. So usually not in foundation you'd have a composite class, but a composite class is like um, two or more grades, year levels in one oh, class. Oh, okay. We call that combined. Combined. Sometimes you hear the slang like split grades put together. Uh, yeah, yeah. So sometimes that occurs, I think it's more often in primary schools, um, yeah. particularly because of class sizes or um, student number of students. So, for example, more common in like grade five, sixes, the older ones, um, when you don't have as many grade fives or grade sixes to have its own individual class. So we make a composite class, a split class, mm-hmm. um, so that it's big enough for one class. Um, yeah, so that's usually it. But some schools choose it as their own pedagogy like they they ideally choose that because they believe that it's more um individualized or you're able to uh 
yeah, individualized for the for the um, students. So you might have two, three, four classes, for example, and then uh, be able to cater. So <laughs> you might have more the capable three, four students together, and then the less capable three, four students together, so that the difference between capabilities in the cohort is not as great, easy to teach. There's yeah, different. It ideologies. happens a lot in country schools too, where they get smaller numbers. Yeah, mm. correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a school in New Zealand earlier this week and the, the, the school is a, um, what they call a normal school, which is to say it, it functions as a practice school for the university students who are learning about teaching. So they come in and do a lot of practice teaching in this particular school. Mm-hmm. And have one of their classrooms set up uh, as what they called a, uh, was it a, uh, a country model school. So they set the, it's a city classroom, but it's set up like a country classroom so that uh, Track teachers get experience of what it's like to work in a multi-age classroom. So this particular one had grades three, four, five, and six all in the same classroom mm-hmm. as a demonstration class. Yeah. Are there a lot of country schools in Australia? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we are a big country, so um, and uh, any sort of schools outside of our densely populated cities um, are quite are considered country schools. We. Um, yeah, more rural country schools, I think you'd call them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think we have a certain uh, certain number of very similar situations as well. But again, based upon like location, 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 I suppose, then of where the students are and where they can bring the, the numbers together as well yeah. um, that you're talking about. Um, thanks, Leanne. Uh, uh, was there anything else? I mean, you came from Malaysia as well, Leanne. Like, <laughs> you, uh, were, you, were you born in Australia, actually? I was born in Australia, yeah. But my family's from Malaysia, like yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Same family. Um, but no, I, I grew up in Australia, so I also grew up in the Australian education system as well. Oh, okay, okay. That's awesome. Cheers. Thanks. Um, and Chris, yourself? Uh, yeah, well, I'm Australian. I was born here and um, I grew up in this Australian school system. Um, I went to school when I was a kid in a like through the Catholic school system. So in, in Australia, there's basically, I guess, three main school systems. Yeah. There's the, the, the public system or the government system. Um and then there's the Catholic system, and then there's the independent school system, which is comprised of you know private schools, religious schools, any, any school that doesn't sort of fit into those first two and wants to do its own thing, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you grew up in the Catholic system, whereas I grew up in the independent, the private school system. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But I teach in the government school system now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And and well, so to put that in context, then so I went to school myself through the Catholic system because that's what my parents wanted. Um, but then when I got to the older, like year 11 and 12, I actually went to a public school. Ah. Um, from, from there, went and did, I became an art teacher. So I went to art school for four years and learned to teach. And then when I started teaching, I, the first few years I taught in the government school. And then uh, I actually left teaching for a while and, and came back to it a few years later and happened to get a job in a Catholic school mm-hmm. and stayed in Catholic schools for a while and eventually moved to an independent school. <laughs> uh, and then, and then decided to do a, a teacher exchange to Canada. So I went over to Canada and taught in a Catholic school in Toronto for a while and then came back to Australia and then moved to a different independent school. So I feel like I've had a little bit of practice in all of the different systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. sure. Every Which has been time. great. I think I think that's a real thing, a good thing. More teachers should do that to experience what the different systems are like. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, we have a colleague, Chris and I, who actually exchanged with uh, another teacher in Australia, and they swapped classes. 
where she took over the classroom in Australia and then the Australian teacher took over the classroom in Toronto. Yeah. The, not only, yeah, the classroom, the houses, not spouses, they kept the same. <laughs> they, exactly. Everything exactly. else got switched, switched <laughs> over. So that was really, yeah, that was really eye-opening. Especially well, that's, what I, that's what I did when I came to Toronto. We did an actual exchange and the guy who taught at, um, uh, uh, it was in Oakville, and he came and lived in my house with his family and I went and lived in his house with my family and we, we basically swapped jobs for a year. That's awesome. And so now, Chris, what do you do nowadays? Uh, well, um, I guess I've been in classrooms. It was close to 30 years, I suppose, of teaching all different things in all different schools. And then um, I started doing more work with, um, like, at conferences and workshops. You get asked to, you know, present at different things. And so I started doing more kind of, you know, going, going to present at workshops at different conferences around the place and then started doing more work with EdTech team. And about That's where I met you. Yeah, right. And about two and a half years ago, I sort of got asked if I would be open to, you know, doing more of that full time. So I switched to EdTech team and I'm now the Director of Learning for Australia and New Zealand for EdTech team. I have a question, Chris. So it's interesting to me that there's a Catholic system in Australia, and we have a Catholic system that you taught in in Canada, which was publicly funded. Is Correct. the Catholic system in Australia publicly funded? I think all our systems are funded by the government. Yeah, so even so, our independent schools. Mm-hmm. I'm going to oh. try and get this. I'm going to try and get this accurate and correct, although. Um, who knows? I might be making it up. Um, so, <laughs> all schools in Australia are funded from two different sources. One is from the, at the state level, one is at the federal yep. level. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Typically what happens is that um, Catholic schools and government schools get the majority of their funding for, at the state level, state level. with yep. a little bit from federal, whereas independent schools get the majority of their funding from federal with a little bit from state. Hmm. And so when people go into the- in our John Howard era. So John yeah. Howard was one of our ex-prime ministers and he put into play- um, funding for independent schools. Yeah. Oh. And back in there 2010? Is, there, it, it is somewhat contentious in that, um, or controversial rather, because people who are big proponents of government schooling, and I'm glad we have those, um, will often sort of, you know, say independent schools shouldn't get any money from the government. This is ridiculous. If parents want to send their children to other schools, you know, they should pay the bill and blah, blah, blah. That's all mm-hmm. that's the argument you get. And they will hold up the fact that, you know, Public, the, the independent schools get all this money. And it's true, they do get all this money, but they get very little at the state level. Mm. And so so because they're funded from two different pools, people tend to use that uh, to support their own argument about who gets the most funding and whether they should or shouldn't get that funding. So um, the bottom line is, though, I, mean, I think there was, a, there was an instance years ago, and I don't quite remember the full details, but there was a, there was a country school, well, there was a this country town, and there was a government school and a, and a Catholic school. And this was back in the, I think, the 60s or something. And there was all this discussion about whether Catholic schools should get any funding from the government. Mm-hmm. And so the the bishop or whoever was running the school system at the time down there said, okay, fine, I'm closing the school down. You can all go to the government school. And so the next morning, like 500 kids turned up at the government school and, the, and they went, hang on a second, we can't cope with this. And I went, all right, then, well, can you understand why some of this funding should probably be distributed, you know, yeah. if, if a parent chooses to send their kid elsewhere? Too. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I imagine that's probably everywhere. But um, yeah, so I think the way it works now is there are a certain amount of money that the government allocates to to educate all children. Um, if you're in a government school, you get a bigger slice of that pie collectively. Mm-hmm. Like it's 
actually but it is money. also from the state government and technically our federal government holds a lot of our budget and our state government is actually a lot poorer than our federal government. So that's where yeah. a lot of our the contentious issue arises in terms of the allocation of funding for um, independent schools by the federal government is I think 80% of um, uh, funded by federal for um, private schools, independent schools, and then 80% of the state um, for government schools. Yeah, yeah. So the contentious issue arises in terms of how much are our states um, able to fund our, our government schools adequately enough to reach what we call our SES level. Um, so that's a standard that we have put down as as what we want all the schools to have achieved in terms of uh, financial uh, funding costs. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. As well. Yeah. Uh, look, I think the, the the bottom line is you end up in situations where you know in in some in a, you might have a government school somewhere where it seems like teachers are scratching around just to have enough money to buy you know paper to print something on, mm-hmm. um, and you got. Um, you know, the, the independent school down the road has just put in their second swimming pool, you know, yeah. and people look at that and kind of go, well, this is really unfair that should be any money going to independent right. schools. But, but um, it, it's, it's a complex issue. Let's just leave it at that. Right. for sure. Is the curriculum, is it, uh, is it a continent-wide thing, a co- continent-slash-country-wide thing, or is it very uh-huh. much dictated by the states and the territories? And the reason I'm asking this is because when we were doing a lot of research, we, f- like, we were always directed to that Australia education yeah. website. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so what's, the, um, what's the deal? Can you, can you break it down for us? Is it continent and country-wide? How is it dictated by provinces, uh, by states and territories? It's both, I think. Um, firstly, our government came up with uh, ACARA, our Australian curriculum, and then it was up to our states to go, okay, we will take this on board. But obviously, um, I know in Victoria, we've been, well, we dub ourselves as the education state. <laughs> it's actually on your number plates on the cars. That's the correct. Yes. State, <laughs> All our cars say education state. Um, but, um, and Victoria, we, we then created our own Victorian curriculum, which was adapted from the Australian curriculum. So a lot of the state curriculums adapt are adapted from the overall Australian curriculum. So yeah. a lot of similarities, but obviously each state has their own little, well, we, we've, we've um, worded it differently. So, you know, but it's essentially still the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Historically, yeah. every state had its own curriculum um, and and even to the point where they, you know, a student who was in, say, year eight or grade eight in, in Queensland, if their family moved to New South Wales, they'd actually be in a different grade. Like, it was crazy. There was all this... Oh, um, wow. See ...between grades and between what was happening in different grade levels and even what different grade levels were called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it was only uh, like 10... Was it 10 years ago we've only had the Australian curriculum... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was on, I was on some of the, the, I was on the board for some of the changes for that, and um, and and look, the idea, it's a great idea, is to say we're one country, mm-hmm. we should probably have a consistent curriculum. Yeah, you know, n- mm-hmm. none of our states are that different that we really should be learning, you know, you know, entirely different stuff. 
So they decided to standardise it by creating an Australian curriculum. Um, similar the, to the, the American was, Common Core then, right, I guess? Uh, I guess similar kind of thing, yeah. And just like not every state has bought into Common Core um, mm-hmm. here, some states, even though the Australian curriculum w- was supposed to be the solution to the problem of everyone doing different things, mm-hmm. um, when they finally released after many drafts the, the, the final Australian curriculum, states looked at it and went, yeah, it's good, but I think we're going to change this bit. And so, oh, yeah. This is the problem we were <laughs> trying to fix. Mm. So in New South Wales, the state I live in, um, you know, the, there's a general feeling that, well, the Australian curriculum's okay, but, you know, we feel like there, there can be room for improvement, so we do things our own way. Um, there are a couple of states, the Australian Capital Territory, I think Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, where they basically looked at it. And, and these are like either smaller or states that have less money to spend on this stuff. They kind of look at it, this is fantastic. This has all been developed for us. Of course, we're going to use it as it is. Right, Whereas of course. more wealthy states like um, Victoria, New South Wales, <laughs> they look at that. Like, Education oh, state. Yeah. Yes, we, we can do better. So they, they sort of go, well, we'll use it, but we'll modify it a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, help us understand this Australia curriculum a little bit because there's a lot of terminology here that's a little bit foreign to us including um so learning areas make sense to us um because those are just subject areas which we we have but what about general capabilities and cross-curriculum priorities um and i'm and just for our our listeners out there when we read general capabilities it says information communication technology critical and creative thinking personal and social capability ethical understanding intercultural understanding these are fantastic well, I mean, a general capability, and it's called that because it, it is a general capability. It's, it's the idea of information technology skills or creative and critical thinking skills. I mean, that's not something you just do in science or maths or English or, you know, whatever. It's it's across the board. And so those general capabilities, are, the idea is that, you know, as teachers design lessons around the actual content of their you know, particular curriculum, that those yeah. general capabilities also have to be interwoven through everything. Now, are so these assessed as well? Uh, not, not specifically. And was there the formal assessments for it? Um, there's no, yeah, there's no test for the, well. I see, I yeah, ICT. I didn't, when I, <laughs> I didn't specifically test for that stuff. But you, the idea is that as you're, let's say you're a science teacher and you're you know, building your deliverable stuff around your science yeah. content, based on the curriculum. You're incorporating aspects of ICT into your program or you're incorporating aspects of, um, you know, something else in the general capabilities inside your lesson pack. The the expectation would be that you would be assessing the the work that the students do for, you know, the science that you're trying to teach them, Mm -hmm. but embedded in that science you're trying to teach them are things like ethical understandings and, you know, IT use and um, you know all the rest of that stuff you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yes, you are assessing it, but not as a standalone item. I guess. Mm-hmm. How does yeah. that differ from cross-curriculum priorities then? That's um, those are three main things. Yeah. Right. Um, because of our huge uh, engage, like our proximity, close proximity to Asia. So one of the cross-curriculum priorities was trying to um, make sure our students were aware of um, our involvement with um, the Asian countries, Southeast Asian countries and China that's close to us. Um, Mm -hmm. And also we have a lot. um, I I know in Melbourne, um, 
we have a huge, you know, Asian population uh, example myself. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So we're very, very multicultural. And so that's, that's definitely very represented in even in our schools. I mean, not mm-hmm. all schools are as multicultural as each other, but we are growing multiculturally. And so as a, as a, um, as an important part of our education, we also need to um, uh, help our students understand how the multiculturalism and our close proximity to Asia can have an influence on, um, you know, a variety of different things uh, in our economy, in our society, um, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's three areas in that cross-curriculum stuff. There's the Asia and, and Australia's sort of engagement within Asia because we are part of that region. Yeah, there's also the, the sustainability the yes. sustainability aspect and there's also the um aboriginal aboriginal and Torres Strait islander yeah yeah so and what's just, incorporated in the sustainability uh just having a look here now um, so things like recycling things like um, yeah. water sustainability looking at environmental awareness um oh, okay the, got it yeah it, it links a lot with science as well and a lot of the humanities mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the biggest thing about the Australian curriculum is kind of a, an implicit understanding that educating a person is not just about understanding subject content, but it's about actually being a, a you know, functioning, contributing member of society. And that involves... Once they leave the education system, yeah. Right, right. And that involves understanding that, you know, you, you, you have a place in the world and you have a history and you have uh, a responsibility right. to make the world better and all of that stuff that's not really taught as content within a, a learning area, you know, mm-hmm. you could be learning geography or math or whatever. Um, you're not specifically teaching concepts of sustainability or, you know, global where you are in the world and all that sort of stuff. But it's kind of, it, it's kind of a, not a, I guess it is a requirement, but it's kind of a, an ethical yeah, it's part of being a global citizen. Exactly right. Yeah, and also a global citizen in Australia. It's very Australian. I mean, um, the the reason why those are our core priorities is quite Australian. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, cross curriculum priorities. What do each of you think or say are some great things happening right now in the education? Aust- um, Education in Australia. Ah, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I think we've got a pretty good education system, and, and and I think this move to our Australian curriculum, which has really only happened within the last, I don't know, ten years. Ten years, yeah. Ten years, maybe. Um, Two thousand and eight, I think it came in. And and you know, uh, uh, education is a slow moving beast sometimes because of its nature. It takes a long time for changes to really start to become embedded. So even though this is ten years old, I think we're really only just starting to to see the impact it's having over the last couple of years. Would you agree with that, Leanne? I, I yeah, I think I would agree with your um, summary. With that, it is it is hard to see because it is fairly recent. It's fairly new. Uh, yeah, it's like when you make changes in a classroom, like you'll always get a few people to jump on it. It's like technology. You know, a few people will jump on it and go, this is great. I'm going to really embrace this. And you get a bunch of other people who will say, you know, oh, I guess I'll try one or two aspects of it. And you get a few other people. Yeah, that kind of resist it. It. 
yeah, I'll resist it as long as I can until I can't resist anymore. And I kind of feel like that's kind of where we're at with Australian curriculum stuff at the mm-hmm. moment. Is, mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think there's uh, the last couple of years has been this general acceptance that you know, this really is the way we're going now. And so, you know. And then how often is this curriculum revised or revisited? Uh, I believe I just announced in New South Wales anyway, a big review uh, is taking place right now. Yeah, that's and- happening as well yeah yeah so uh i I know i can only speak in victoria um obviously but with us and for me just to put a little spanner in the works as well is that um because of the uh, type of school that i teach at as well we have a different curriculum right Uh, oh okay adapted from uh the australian curriculum and also our victorian curriculum but more catered for uh, new arrivals um, people who don't speak English. So um, we call it the EALD, so English as an additional language slash dialect curriculum, and it's a continuum. So uh, for me, what directly impacts um, myself and the teachers in my um, area is um, we're currently going through a few changes with our curriculum as well. So they've recently just gone through um, redoing um, our English as an additional language slash dialect continuum over the last three or four years. And this year they've put it out um, for all teachers and educators and principals and language schools to come and do a review on it. And we've just provided our input into this new curriculum and given it back to them. So now it's up to them to have a look at all the feedback that they've received um, regarding this new curriculum that they've uh, redone. Because um, I believe our curriculum, which is a little bit different, um, has been around for a lot longer than 10 years. This has been this is an old, really, really old curriculum that hasn't mm. even changed, even when the new Australian curriculum came in 10 years ago. So yeah. we've been for an updo for a very long time. Yeah. The other thing is that, over the last couple of years, we've been introducing a, a brand new subject, which is called digital technologies, which is hasn't really existed in this form previously. So this is kind of a new thing. I mean, you know, when you take your sort of art, math, science, English kind of curriculums, yeah, they, they, they've all been redesigned and that's all fine. But, you know, we've been teaching those exact subjects for a while. Um, so the Australian curriculum kind of revamped how we do that and what we do in those but the digital technology stuff is actually quite new in that it tries to take um uh computer science and coding and sort of you know stem kind of stuff and really make it much more formalized than it's ever been mm-hmm. um, and you've also brought it down to so even foundation level as well have correct, yeah. digital technology as well so we're expected to teach um you know computers ict handling even at great for five-year-olds Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot of interest, or interest, or um, people needing to know more about STEM uh, and about mm-hmm. um, you know science, technology kind of stuff, and and like Leanne said, down to a, down to a much uh, earlier level than we've traditionally done it as well. Yeah, and, and, and so there's a lot of teachers now who are kind of going, "Wow, I need to get up to speed with coding and stuff for kindergarten." Really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are parents and, and teachers receptive to it then? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you look at just our our whole 
uh, world in terms of technology nowadays, you know, you've got toddlers picking up iPhones and they know what to do with it. So, you know, there's that even more reason for a push to incorporate um, digital technology learning as a, as a subject in our schools to also teach them how to handle it properly as well and then to know how to do more with it because, you know, when they leave school, um, our career prospects um, that we used to have is going to be look so different to what it will look like in 10, 20 years when these mm-hmm. kids grow up and technology has advanced so far, they need to, you know, be capable of being able to do so many things with what te- technology can and will be able to do. The other aspect of it too is, uh, I mean, you, you know, I've taught in kindergarten classes and you do those things like, you know, you, you have the, the, the blocks or whatever and you put, a, you know, a square, a circle, a triangle, a square, yeah. a circle. Yeah. What's the next thing? You know, and the kids have to go, oh, it's all, it's all it's a triangle. We've spotted the pattern. Pattern yeah. spotting and pattern recognition is an important you know, literacy in terms of, you know, understanding um it, well, computational, computational yeah. thinking, pattern spotting well. is an important thing. So, so there's there's a whole lot of things that teachers have always done, but they've never really thought about it in terms of it being a computational skill. And right. so, I think what the digital technologies curriculum is doing, uh, you know, apart from obviously trying to encourage some new thinking in that area, but also to say to teachers, stuff you've always done teaches these skills as well. You've just never thought about it in these terms. And also giving us new tools to teach it through as well. Right, yeah. What is your one, if you can share it, just one favorite, could be a resource, a website, a technology, an app, a pedagogy, a tool, something. What's your one favorite thing you want to kind of share with the rest of the people? So we'll start with Leanne and then we'll go to Chris. I have to think about that, actually. (laughs) It could be a book, too. It could be a book. Yes, it could be something you just read, a website. It could be anything. Cannot be Vegemite. Okay. (laughs) Please, not Vegemite. Which you still haven't eaten, by the way. Oh, I've been doing it the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Time to be finished. (laughs) Um, Chris, you go first, because I'm going to think about this, because there's there's so many things that we use. I need to find the one thing that I. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, look, uh, uh, so my background is as an art teacher, but then originally an art teacher, but it kind of drifted into technology and sort of multimedia and design and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I teach a lot with technology and obviously the job I'm doing now involves helping other teachers understand a lot about technology. And for me, the, the one single tool, if I could take everything else away, but leave me with one thing, it'd have to be G Suite. I mean, and and that's like that's kind of a cheaty answer because G Suite's really made up of a whole bunch of tools inside it. But mm-hmm. but I, I just think like the flexibility of G Suite, of Google Docs and Google Slides and Google Sheets and you know drawings and maps and all this all the stuff that's embedded inside your G Suite. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had nothing else to teach with tool wise except that, that'd be the one thing I want because it's mm-hmm. kind of it's such a broad, flexible package that you can do so much with. Is that well adopted in Australia? Uh, Yeah. So um, there are a number of, well, we talked about the different school systems before. Pretty much um, the Catholic system right across the country is all Google. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a few notable exceptions to that where they're dabbling with other things. But by and large, the the Catholics are all in on on Google. Um, The two biggest school systems in the country, which is New South Wales and Victoria, um, they both deploy Google Apps to all their schools. Um, 
And uh, I, I think you'd find a majority of the independent schools are probably using Google as well. Now, they're getting some stiff competition now from Microsoft with Office 365 and uh, other things, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I would think that Google is probably still the, you know, the main thing in that space. Mm. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Uh, yeah, it's a huge push right now in the where we are over here in the in Toronto. Uh, Leanne, back to you. <laughs> I was thinking about it and I was like, well, if I were to strip everything away from um, like my classroom and have the one thing, if I could only have that one thing that I am um, left in my classroom that I would recommend, I'm going to sound really cliched here. I have a feeling, but <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't think of one like resource or one thing that I use. I'm clinging um, to the bottom of my seat, the edge of my seat. I know. What is what it? Are you say? <laughs> I'm like, what is the one thing that um, I really cherish the most? Right in my classroom. <laughs> it's gonna be really cliche. <laughs> Get the tissues out. <laughs> but, <laughs> and it's not like an app. It's not like a book. Say it. Say it. You know, a piece of technology or a, a resources per se. It's the relationships. Mm, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yeah. I'm thinking to myself, like, and that's also one of the reasons why I teach is to create those mm. relationships. Even if I wasn't a teacher, mm-hmm. it's still the relationships. Um, even if I was a you know, um, had no idea about curriculum or didn't do any assessments or any of those extra peripheral things that, you know, you try is essential to teaching. But the real essence of it was, is the relationships that I have in, with my students. <laughs> I'd like to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> You're the cool one now. <laughs> I bet it, well, that's, well a, that's 100% correct. 100% correct. Well played. Teaching is all about relationships, right? I'm glad yeah. I have tissue nearby. Absolutely. <laughs> no, not cliche at all. It's it's amazing. It's wonderful. As we go through, uh, Sandra and I go through this whole podcast, asking other people around the world. It really does, as as Chris, the other Chris was saying as well, that it really does break it down to what are your relationships like, and it's so validating to hear that you're saying that as well, Leanne. So thank you for both of you for sharing that. Thank you again so much. Thank you to our, uh, to to the two of you for taking the time now to come in and uh, chatting with us and everything and. Uh, we'll post up your information uh, somewhere else so people can get a hold of you. Um, but beyond that, thank you once again. I really appreciate the evening. Our pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All Global EdTour episodes are edited using Soundtrap. Start collaborating anywhere at soundtrap.com edu. And thanks to Anchor.fm for making it so easy and free to host and distribute our podcast. Global Ed Tour is proud to be a part of the Voice Ed Radio family. Your voice right here. For other great podcasts, check out voiceed.ca. And thank you to Goodnight Sunrise for letting us use their song, This Is Yours, for our intro and outro music. Available wherever you download or stream your music. You can find us on Twitter at Global Ed Tour or on the web at bit.ly slash globaledtour. And finally, thank you to you, our listeners.
Oh, you were asking about uh, Australian phrases before. Right. Is there oh, one Australian for goodbye? Phrases. Like, I'll see you later? Like, Well, no, but you said what? what, what Because we were talking before we started, you were talking about Australian phrases, and I have to show you this. So there's a movie called The Castle, which is oh, kind gosh. of oh, it's kind of like the, the yes. you know, the archetypical Aussie movie. You know, when, yes. when my wife moved to Australia from Canada, I said, you have to watch this movie. Unless you understand this movie, you'll never You'll never fit in here. <laughs> and there's so many phrases in our lexicon that have come from this movie to the point where, and this is this one phrase where um, uh, in this little house they live in, uh, they have a room with a pool table and it's got all the, the awards and the, the trophies and the banners and everything that the kids have won over the years from their sporting competitions and things they've won. And so the phrase became, um, you know, when you did something good, you go, oh, that's going straight to the pool room, you know, <laughs> to go on the wall. To the point where, so if I ask my Google Home now, my Google Home is on the other side of the room here, and I go, hey, Google, look at what I made for you. I love it. It's going straight to the pool room. <laughs> oh, my God, that is hilarious. <laughs> what is this? Did you plan that? No, no, that's, that's serious. If you ask your Google Home, that, that's what it says. What? What, about, what about this one? Hey, Google. Hey, Google. What's Vegemite made of? Too easy. Magic. 